The Unlikely Innovators with Mike Comito and Steve Gravel. Presented by Cambrian R&D and the Center for Smart Mining. All right, so we're back for episode three of The Unlikely Innovators uh, with Steve Gravel and Mike Comito. Um, the last couple episodes, we spent a lot of time on applied research in general. Um, we've talked about the Center for Smart Mining, which is a technology access center in Canada. Um, I think what we wanted to kind of talk about today is, is the funding world because it's a big part of what we do. Um, and I think for a lot of you know, SMEs and entrepreneurs, it can sometimes be a daunting world because you've got to navigate you know, multiple funders, different envelopes, eligibility requirements. You've got to write the thing, um, which is very intensive. And so I know that for a lot of you know, companies who don't have experience writing grants before, if they're applying you know, for funding, um, you know, that, that could be in itself, I think, a challenging exercise. And I think where the colleges are positioned well is obviously there are certain funding envelopes that are, companies are eligible only if they work with the college. Uh, and if they are going through, let's say, an industry academic funder like NSERC or OCI, the colleges will write the grants on their behalf, which is great because we take away a lot of the, you know, the burden of doing that, plus the administrative burden after the fact of carrying that out. And I think, you know, you and I have been in this world for quite a bit, but I think you've got more, you've got both sides of the funding world. Um, you, you, you know, you, your experience at Cambrian, but then also on the funder side, working for at the time OCE, now OCI, Maybe we want to start, you know, with some of your thoughts about that, you know, kind of going to the other side and seeing what it's like to be, you know, the business development manager on that side of the table and working with companies on the other end to try to find them a suitable partner, whether it's with Cambrian or another college that was in your catchment area. Yeah, I think um, the funding world, it, you know, to, to the uninitiated company is a black box, right? So I think your your comments ring true that if you're working with an academic institution like a college, it sort of demystifies and takes some of that burden out. But also, like on the application side, if you're fortunate enough to get funding from a government agency, you're also sort of subject to the, uh, the substantial reporting afterwards uh, that, that working with a college or university takes away because that reporting burden is largely on, on the institution that receives the funding. Um, man, working at OCE, uh, really interesting and i mean i could probably do like a steve gravel top 10 tips for for writing grants but it was it was a it was a really eye-opening uh experience because what people don't often know is that the funder wants your project to get funded um it's not adversarial so when you start working with a company or a, a college on an application uh the funder really really wants to see their box is checked because depending on what level of government you're applying to or what program you're applying to um, it's important to keep in mind that when it's being reviewed it's being reviewed against a rubric of which is usually made public of what matters most for the the government that happens to be in power at the time so i think um i hadn't i hadn't really fully appreciated the fact that the agency is actually my ally and mm. i think if 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 a if a group that's applying to something starts to look at it you know with that lens instead of you know me versus them then i think uh you can start to build a relationship with the funder that might make things easier uh, and, and actually improve success when it comes to, to funding but i mean 
uh, colleges and universities are very good at grant writing and have a lot of bench strength when it comes to that. Um, try and put that burden on an SME that might have maybe one business manager and an accountant working on applications. And it's a whole different story. So, I mean, you're, you have to be a lot more hands-on with companies as they try and navigate it. And uh, it has to be worth their time, right? You know, the, it has to, like these companies, the saying goes, they kill what they eat. Mm -hmm. um, and they have a certain amount of bandwidth. And working at OCE, you really see like, it's not like they're sitting around all day trying to look for government funding to, to offset their costs. They're, they're doing the job of work uh, to, to make products and to innovate. So it was really important for me to look from the lens of the funder, you know, we got to make this easy. We got to be of service to these people and we got to just make sure that they're successful. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, that's the approach I took, but it was uh, coming from the other side. It was, it was really eye opening from that perspective that, um, you know, that doesn't have to be adversarial. It could be very complimentary and, and really at the end of the day, we're serving the applicant. And I think that that's how it should be. Yeah, and I think one of the one of the interesting things about the funding world is that you know we we go back and drop the the reference to the unlikely innovators in every episode and have that you know Leonardo DiCaprio once upon a time in Hollywood moment. You did meme. it. I did it. I, I blew it. You're not supposed to explain the meme every time, but yeah. here we are. Um, I think that's that's a natural entry point to how unlikely innovators can get into the innovation ecosystem, right? Because I think in order to write an effective grant. You have to be able to communicate oftentimes complex ideas, put them into terms that, you know, a variety of people could understand. Um, you got to mm -hmm. be able to position in a way that the company understands what the value proposition of this grant is. Um, and then ultimately make a strong enough case that you have technical experts and then other uh, more general experts reviewing this grant that they understand, you know, what are we trying to solve? How does this situate or how is this situated in the larger you know, ecosystem, what are the deliverables? What is the impact going to mean for this company? What is the impact going to mean for the province or the, or the, you know, or the national economy? And so I think oftentimes the people that are often set up to do these types of grants are those that come from the humanities, right? And that's where you and I have come from because yeah. you'd spend all your time, you know, researching and writing uh, and being able to communicate effectively that uh, you're in a good position, even if you don't have, you know, the engineering or scientific background, I think what humanities, you know, background kind of provides you with is the ability to kind of analyze, distill, communicate, and put all of that together in a package that somebody that somebody can understand and make a decision on, right? And I think that's that's certainly how I think I got into this world is that, um, you know, what are you, why am I going to hire the historian? Well, because I could, I can write, uh, I can communicate, I think, and that's that's probably a big piece of, of why uh, you, you got into Cambrian when you did. I mean, certainly you had a track record with you at INORD, but uh, but I think that that's, that's the interesting thing where people don't necessarily see themselves uh, in STEM because of the degree that they have or the diploma they have. But ultimately, there's all of these transferable skills, uh, you know, from our backgrounds that I think could be leveraged uh, in this, this dynamic, uh, you know, innovation ecosystem. Yeah. And I mean, coming from the same history master's program at Laurentian that you did, um, it's super unlikely that we ended up here, right? Because... Uh, one thing that I one thing that I hearken back to, and this is whenever you're coaching someone through an application, you can almost guess their academic background by how it's written, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, engineers will write very clear technical um, technical descriptions of what they want to do, and that's very much valued when you're doing a technical evaluation. But you're left sometimes as a, as someone reviewing it, you're like saying, "So what?" You know, why does this matter? You haven't convinced me that this is something that the government should 
invest money in. It's mm-hmm. not enough to say that it's technically feasible. It has to be, you know, feasible as an idea. So um, I'm always reminded, Mike, and you and I got better at this as we progressed our academic career, but um, topic sentences. Yes. <laughs> How important are topic sentences in an application? Because you really have to hit, this is, you're, you're, you're providing a, a, an application to, to an un, uninitiated person. The first person who largely sees it is a bureaucrat, right? Mm-hmm. You have to hit them on the head with what you're telling them you're going to do in the application. And I think to your point about the, you know, coming from a a writing heavy field is important because you're taking a mass amount of technical data largely and distilling it into a well-written, well-understood piece of prose that they can then understand easily. And it's like, yep, immediately I get the idea. I know where this is going. And they're keeping my attention through the application. Mm-hmm. Not to overstate this, it's not like you're writing Shakespeare, but you have to maintain attention to detail and you have to maintain the attention of the reader throughout. And I think humanities education is, and humanities training is really perfect for that. Yeah, and I think the other thing that's interesting too is that I think sometimes, you know, and maybe sometimes because of those backgrounds where I think we you know, take pride in the fact that I think we, we, we can, I think, hopefully string together a few sentences. But I think what I've learned, you know, in the grant writing world, uh, you know, in this field is that like, don't stray too far from the questions they're asking you and the sections they're mm-hmm. asking. I think that sometimes there's a tendency to be like, okay, and I'll, I'll provide you with an answer that I think sounds good or I think is compelling. But it's just like, there, those, those guiding questions and those guiding sections are there for a reason. I think that as you get more experience, you realize that those fence posts or signposts, sorry, are, are there to guide you. And that if you don't go back and hit those signposts, you know, you're going to be at a disadvantage because you're going to have not addressed, uh, you know, I think some of the critical areas they're looking for you to address. And ultimately it can come back in the end that that might be one of the reasons why, you know, the application was unsuccessful because something was left out. And I think that this is something that, you know, you and I talked about recently and, you know, I think Cambrian has had a, has a great track record when it comes to, to earning grants because we're working with partners who I think have viable ideas uh, that the scientific reviewers see as a benefit uh, to advancing the field and that at the, at, the, at the economic level, at the economic development level, we see what the impact could be, you know, for the company and for the community in which they operate. Um, but I think oftentimes we, when we don't get a grant, we'll think back and there is obviously a tendency to be, um, I think, disappointed, sometimes upset with the outcome of an application. I think mm-hmm. oftentimes our first instinct is to say, well, this, the reviewers didn't yeah, understand yeah. what I, I wrote. And they, they don't, they don't get this. And, you know, and then you take a step back and you're like, well, for one, it's a, it's a static grant application. So there's no opportunity for them to call me on the phone and say like, Hey, I'm reading your grant right now. Could you tell me what you meant in section five? It's, if I did not address a point effectively, or if you left out a key area, you know, that they needed to see that information from at the end of the day, that's on us. We can't blame mm-hmm. the reviewers for not seeing that. We can't blame the reviewers for not making a leap in logic to assume that, well, if they say this, then I could only assume that they're going to say that they can only evaluate you based on what they see. And I think that that is something that comes with experience that you start to realize that, uh, you know, you've got to think of that ahead of time uh, and to try to cover off all of your angles and your bases before you submit, because once it's submitted, uh, there's no going back, there's no adding to it, there's no providing additional context. Um, and so I think it's, that's, that's one of the challenges that I've had to deal with over the years is that certainly yeah. you always want to, you always want to get, 
put a grant for the company that you're working with so that they see, you know, the return on the time that they've spent to get to the point where you have a grant. Because again, these aren't, this is not like a one page grant. Like when we're talking about OCI or NSERC applications at a project level, like these are still oftentimes like eight to 15 pages worth of, of writing and, and describing, you know, the project scope and the budget and all of that stuff. Right. And then of course, with the bigger grants, like an innovation enhancement grant or attack grant, um, like these are massive grants. And so it's uh, you always want to get it, but sometimes, you know, you really, I think over time really realize that it's a much more dynamic process and that it does require a lot of care and effort uh, to, to really get those successful results. And I think that's where obviously the colleges and the universities play a significant role in that because we're trained to do this. And again, at, over time, you just become better equipped and better prepared you know, to write these grants uh, in the hope of, of serving your partners. Yeah, and I think I'll, that's absolutely right. And I think I'll, I'll shed some light on the other side of the coin, you know, from the funding perspective. And those questions, those leading questions that you're talking about, um, I think it should be noted that a great degree of care was taken to craft that question in that way. And it says exactly what it means. And the reason that is, is because those questions are underpinned by a policy that exists in the government somewhere. So if the policy is job creation, um, the question might take the form of how many jobs and what kind of jobs, what impact on, on employment will this have, right? So you have to understand that the, the project is being evaluated based on policy positions that the ministry that is offering the program has already taken and needs to deliver on for the, the people of Ontario or Canada. So if you shift your mind and like, that's how you're being evaluated technically, but also what is this doing for the policy mandate of the, of the organization? And if you, you think about it that way, you have to write exactly what they're asking. You can't leave the benefit of the doubt, but, but what's interesting is you can actually tie the hands of the reviewer. If you reply to the question accurately and succinctly, mm -hmm. because they can evaluate, they can, how can they evaluate you poorly if you've answered the question? You know, so don't stray from the question. And one thing, this is a tip, it sounds stupid and a bit petty, but one thing that reviewers and, and agencies hate to see is the phrase at the beginning of your next answer that says, as mentioned above. Yeah. Um, and the reason for that is it's like, yes, I know I read above, but like, tell me again, why does this matter? I'm asking you because I care. And I'm asking you because there's a policy underpinning uh, this question. Uh, so just answer the question again. <laughs> yeah. I and I know they might, they might seem repetitive, but they're always asked in slightly different ways and we're, they're asked to glean different information. So. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I think even just from like a practical perspective, there's times when like you'll reshuffle a grant around and sometimes you end up moving text or paragraphs into different areas. And then if you're not careful, you now have a line somewhere else that says, as mentioned above, it's like, well, it's not mentioned above anymore because you've now removed that entire paragraph and it's sitting somewhere mm -hmm. else in the grant. But I do agree that, yeah, like as much as you want to say that I've already answered this question, it's now slightly different. Just, yeah, take the time and, and add a couple more, you know, sentences there because it, it's not going to hurt you. Um, you know, you may be frustrated, although that's not even the right way to, of putting it because it's your job to do this. So you should just, you know, take it take it line by line, but, uh, but certainly, yeah, the reviewers aren't, uh, aren't typically going to be, uh, enamored by, as I've yeah. already stated, or as yeah. has been answered in question five. Like, am I wasting your, am I wasting yeah. your time here? I mean, yeah. there's a hundred thousand dollars on the other, other end of this. Take the time, right? 
Yeah. And I think that's the other thing too, right? Is that like these, a lot of these grants, you know, you know, even at like, we're talking about at the, at the, at the industry partner level, like these are still like significant amounts of money. Right. And obviously the partner Mm -hmm. is, is contributing cash to leverage that funding, but it's, you know, for somebody to get $50,000 or $150,000, you know, you have to be able to answer a series of questions and they rightfully should have some hard hitting questions for you that do take time to answer. And sometimes, you know, you have to defer some of those questions to your partner because, I can't, you know, determine how many jobs this will create in your company. I can't really determine what the economic impact will be for you at your operations here locally, but, but you can. And I think sometimes it's just a matter of like, you know, showing them that this, this $50,000 or whatever amount of money this is, that's going to allow us to create this prototype is going to help you move the needle. And so in order to get to that, we've got to put in some background. And I think that that's, you know, that's one of the things I've learned over the years is that kind of going into it, you want to try to you know, maybe not burden your partner by, by bringing them too much into the grant writing process. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I think to write that coherent grant that makes sense and is actually backed up by, by facts and, you know, in, mm-hmm. intelligence from the company level, you have to involve them and ask them to give you the information that you're otherwise guessing at. And it's, that's, not, yeah. that's not the way to go about doing it, right? Well, and funders can tell when the client hasn't been involved, right? Yeah. Just by reading it, you could tell that they don't have enough information uh from the company so when i was at oce uh you could tell like they haven't even asked the company about what the benefit to them is going to be going forward Mm -hmm. and you could just sort of tell that because the lack of detail and the lack of nuance in what they're saying uh when those questions come up the other thing i want to mention is that um these aren't entitlement programs meaning that companies and universities and colleges that are applying aren't owed these from the government it's competitive Mm-hmm. So to say, you know, well, I created 50 jobs last year, that's great for the economy, but that doesn't entitle you technically uh, to get this program. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. I mean, we all pay taxes and we all seem that these, you know, that these programs should be just available to us, but they're, they're competitive to be equitable, right? So that, so that, you know, the biggest job creator in the province shouldn't have their pick of the the funding. It should be based on the merit of the project and the outcomes of the project. So that's that's one thing that you often have to dispel with SMEs, you know. Um, and part of that is making sure you're eligible mm-hmm. because you can you can waste a company's time, which is a lot in, in many cases a lot worse than wasting their money if the if the client or if the project or if the product is not eligible for the program you're seeking. So that's why you should do a really good job before you even put pen to paper of understanding whether or not this is something that's eligible from a company perspective or from an activity perspective, because you don't want to get to the end of a grant writing process, Mm -hmm. submit it and realize that you get bounced from the process for eligibility. And what's that, what's that expression you always say? Cause I always try to say, and I always screw it up, but it's like a company's second favorite answer is no. Did I get it right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because again, if you look at a company, they're just looking for opportunities all all the time right and speed is important they want to hear yes from a grant agency but they want to hear no just as fast because that means that opportunity is dead let's look for another opportunity mm-hmm. that's actually a jeremy lauren quote um my former one of my former bosses at oce uh shout out to jeremy if he ever <laughs> listens to this he might we'll, tell, we'll tell him to listen to this one because yeah, he's we'll, got a shout we'll out tell him, <laughs> we'll tell him to listen to it but yeah the second favorite answer is no so the faster you get to no uh, the better, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you they want to hear yes, but no is just as good if it's a, if it's a quick no. So it's an important so, thing to keep in mind. 
Yeah. And, and when we're talking about it, the faster you get there, obviously there's speed involved. So there's certainly an end, end time and a deadline. Um, I think one of the things that we wanted to kind of share as well before we kind of close this episode out is that, uh, you know, I think as, uh, you know, when you were working at OCE, you were the business development manager for Northern Ontario. So as a result, you had the very tiny catchment area of north of Perry Sound all the way over to, you know, Kenora. Kenora. So, yeah. so just a tiny swath of, of land. Um, so yeah. as a result, like Cambrian College was in your catchment area. I was a BD at Cambrian at the time, um, you know, and there was one episode where we had an, <laughs> the application was due, I think it was like three o'clock like on the dot. And these are real fixed timelines, right? There's no 305. It's like, you have to have it in at or before this not time. Going in. Yeah. And you know, I think the way that I operate, like I always like to get things done in advance. I don't like taking things to chance. Um, I would prefer to get something in submitted early than rather run the risk of having it go in late. But sometimes with these grants, you know, there's multiple attachments that are part of it. It's not just the narrative. It's not just the budget table. It's letter of support. And sometimes letters of support take time because there's an approval process to get a signature on a letter that's actually meaningful. And there was, I think we were applying for, and we've got another story that we'll close this out with, but this is not that one that um, <laughs> I think it was for OCs. There was the call, the uh, college applied research development fund, the Cardiff fund, and it was for a platform uh, of funding. And we were waiting for this letter of support to come in. And it finally came in at the 11th hour and I had to submit it. And I think you were on the road Cause you used yeah. to drive around a lot, like to all these other areas you had to go to. And I think you had pulled over and I was trying to submit it on my end and you, but you still had to submit it on your end before in order for OC to take it. And I remember like, I think <laughs> we, we, we blew it. I think at one point we were thinking like after months of, of preparing this grant and getting yeah. all of these partners to buy into it, like, did we just blow this because we didn't make the deadline? Yeah, I mean, I, not to uh, to call out the telecommunications industry between here and Timmins, but uh, as you know, Mike, driving that highway many times, there's a lull in service. Yes. Um, so the way the OCE, uh, OCE at the time project worked when you submitted the proposal, it came to me first before I reviewed and submitted it to the external review committee. And I was on the road to Timmins uh, as part of my huge catchment area. And you hit submit at I think something like 155. Yeah. Because the uh, the deadlines for OCE used to be always two o'clock. Oh, two o'clock. Two o'clock yeah, yeah. on a Friday. So it came at 155 because you were waiting on that key letter of support. And I thought, you know, I'll be able to just go in quick on the mobile app and, and hit submit. There was no service. <laughs> I had zero bars. So I had the choice to make either backtrack to Sudbury or push on to Timmins. Um, and I don't know how this happened, but I got, you know, a few bars somewhere in between there and was able to hit submit at, I think, 202 or something like that. And because it was my fault for not having service, they let it go in. But if it was if it was after two, otherwise they would have said no. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's that's definitely innovation on the frontier waiting for something you don't have to worry about in downtown Toronto is, is waiting on a cell signal to hit submit on a, on a grant application. Yeah, no, that was, it was hair raising, but that was almost a bit of foreshadowing because the other part of the yeah. story is that as part of this grant, um, it was for, a, I forget, there were so many different acronyms. There was, um, cause it was like CCSTPC or something. It was colleges. Just uh, rolls off the tongue. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. But all we need to say is that it was for a, a platform of funds so that it would have provided the college with 
uh, a set amount of funds over a, over a two-year period that industry partners can then buy in directly to with Cambridge. So they would work out research agreements that fell into the thematic focus that we identified. And then based on the leverage that OCE set, they could access this pool of resources, right? So is this the story about the cannonball run down to Toronto? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like <laughs> as, as, as part of that, after we somehow got the application in just under the wire, you then still had to go to OC headquarters in Toronto and provide an in-person presentation. And um, I think the way that we had this set up, it was, a, it was Friday. I remember this because um, it was Thursday night and I was actually like sitting in my car at Countryside Arena because I was writing a story about um, an NHL versus Docs charity game. Nick Foligno puts this on every year. And of course, as one does, I was covering the story for the athletic Cleveland or something like that. And so yeah. I was in my car writing my story because I just finished watching the game and doing some interviews and you and I were supposed to go to Toronto. Um, I think that very next morning and we were going to fly because we got a seat sale. Um, it was going to obviously fly us right downtown with Porter. And that's just like a hop, skip and a jump away from, from the OC, uh, you know, location. And so that was our plan. And then, you know, I had, I had, I had company that was coming, the next day from Ottawa. And so the, the goal was that, you know, we, you and I would be back by lunchtime because at that time Porter used to fly in the morning and they'd have an afternoon flight and yep. we'd be back, finish the work day at Cambrian, go back home, have a much deserved beer at the night at night with, with, with guests. So then I'm in my car at, at, at countryside and you call me, you're like, our flight got canceled. So like now we have no flight to get to Toronto and you know, it's, that's fine. Cause we're in Sudbury. So we're not that far away, but our presentation <laughs> Was that like, like, yeah, I think it was, yeah, maybe it was even earlier. Cause I feel like we were on yeah, the road. Nine maybe. Yeah. I, cause I think the Porter flights used to be at like, you know, seven 30. So you'd get the airport at six 30. You'd, you'd arrive downtown Toronto, like eight 15, which gave you like yeah. an hour to get to your, your appointment or whatever it was. So now, now all of a sudden it's just like, you and I have to get up at 5. AM, which again, poor us, like, this is like a, not that First big of a problem. deal, but, but, uh, yeah. but certainly, you know, it complicates things. And so, we're driving down to Toronto knowing that we have to be at this presentation for let's say 10 o'clock and we're making decent time, but we're clearly realizing that like, this is going to be very tight. Like very tight. We might've should have left maybe a half hour earlier. Who's to say. Um, but we, we, we get to the point where we're like, we have a decision to make. We either <laughs> drive downtown, we either drive all the way downtown you like find a parking spot or like you, I barrel roll out of the car, out of the truck and I run yeah. to OCE, you find a parking spot or like ditch your truck somewhere. And then you, <laughs> you run to OCE. So they was like, we either go straight into the lion's den and drive into during downtown rush hour, during during rush hour, rush hour. in the yeah. morning. Or we're like, or we can get off at Yorkdale. We can drive to Yorkdale shopping center, take the train in, take the train in at least like we know that we don't have to worry about parking in downtown Toronto because like we'll get off at the nearest subway station to OC and just like book it there. And yeah. so we, I remember you and I running the calculus of like, do we do it? Do we not do it? Like, and I think we're like, we got to, we got to take the train. Like we're, this yeah. is too tight. So we get off, we take the train. It's still tight, but we did have enough time to like grab a coffee and a bagel at this like coffee shop across the street. And so we, we did make it on time, you know, and, and we did. I don't think we would, I don't think we would have made it if we drove all the way no, downtown. No, because like, I don't think I even had the chance to eat my entire bagel. I think I like yeah. guzzled some coffee before I did the presentation, uh, maybe ate half a bagel. Um, but yeah, the, I guess at the end, it is a happy ending because we did get the grant. 
uh, which is great because it, it was immensely helpful to Cambrian for the next two years to be able to offer that portfolio funding. Uh, yep. But certainly was a hair raising experience. So, I mean, sometimes people think the, you know, the grant writing funding world is, uh, is just all pushing paper, but other times you're flying down to Toronto in your truck because uh, <laughs> you've got a hard deadline in the morning. Yeah. And I mean, think about that now. We actually had to go, we spent that kind of time to, to be at an in-person meeting. You know, nowadays we would have just hopped on a Zoom yeah. meeting to do that. Right. But yeah, it was super important. I remember it being like a non-negotiable yeah. on the on the on the funding side that you know we have to have them here to pitch in person. And I just remember Emil at the time who had stayed there the night before, who sort of just like eh, walked in. He yeah. had gone to the gym in the morning. He was looking great. Me and you sweating through our suits, sprinting there. And uh, our colleague that was there for the pitch had gone there the night before and was just <laughs> totally relaxed going into the room. Yeah, they were they were at the hotel. Like he'd went for a swim with his kids. Like yeah, yeah. you and I are just total wrecks. Had been up at five a.m. Like trying to yeah. trying to get this process all sorted out. So I mean, we ended up getting back. I think at a decent hour because I think we weren't. We obviously didn't stick around for the day. We I think we caught a we got a bite with uh with a mill who was my boss at the time, and then we hopped back in the truck, drove back to Sudbury, and that yeah, that was Friday afternoon. So no tickets. No tickets. We didn't get we didn't get speeding tickets. So. Yeah. So it all it worked, worked out. out, but, yeah. uh, but yeah, so, everyone's good. Yeah. Everyone's good. We all survived, got the grant, yeah. got the funding. That's the most important thing. But, uh, but yeah. again, that's uh, we wanted to leave you with that. Cause I think that's a pretty funny story and hopefully we can kind of bring some of our, our experiences. They're not always hilarious or, uh, or hair raising, but I think it's good to offer up some of the, some of the highs and lows of, of, the, uh, you know, of, of being these unlikely innovators and having to go through these experiences. So uh, I'm sure we'll kind of pivot back to some of these episodes in future episodes. Right on. Okay. Well, I guess. See you next it, time. That's it. Yeah, that's, that's it. it. Is our is our closing line now? We've done. I guess this is the third one. Is it going to just be that's it? <laughs> I think it reminds me of that's all, folks. <laughs> yeah, I think that's. I think that's it. I think. I think we did it. I think we just <laughs> need like I, as I think through these, and you know, I think that's just. Simple as key. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Just, and we're done. <laughs> right on. The Unlikely Innovators with Mike Comito and Steve Gravel, presented by Cambrian R&D and the Center for Smart Mining.